Now it's time for some New York Mets baseball talk. Here's Gary Mack bringing you the latest news and analysis from Mets Nation and the world of baseball on another edition of Mets Musings. And hello and welcome to another edition of Mets Musings, episode 346. And we got a special one for you tonight. We had a big round table the other day. And uh, it was uh, four of us here, special guests, Brett Tappell on the phone, Greg Prince in the house, Jeff Cohen in the house, Len Aberman of Baseball and Barbecue, Jeff Cohen, of course, Baseball and Barbecue, all here in the new studio, the different studio, you see it's a different look, and they we had a big Mets roundtable discussion about what the Mets should do. And I am not going to delay any longer. We're going to get right to it uh, just in a second. But I hope you'll enjoy it. We had a blast doing it. And uh, just sit back and enjoy it. And again, my guests who I introduce are uh, 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 the boys from uh, Baseball and Barbecue, Jeff Cohen and Lynn Aberman, Greg Prince, and Brett Tappell. So sit back and enjoy it. All right, and welcome, man. This evening, we are having a very special get-together here. We're having a Mets fan forum, if you will, with some really terrific guests. So I'm going to introduce them all, let them all say hi, and then we'll get into it. We've got Len Aberman from Baseball and Barbecue. Hey there. Jeff Cohen from Baseball and Barbecue. The boys are in the studio. Yeah, we're here. <laughs> and the great Greg Prince... Author extraordinaire is here. Author of Piazza, uh, Faith and Fear and Flushing, and the other one escapes Amazing. me right now. Amazing again. Good morning or afternoon or evening, whatever time uh, we're saying this is. <laughs> <laughs> and on the phone with us is the equally extraordinary author, Brett Tappell. And Brett's been with me a number of times on the show. Uh, Brett's the author of So You, you Think You're a Met Fan... Uh, miracle moments, uh, so many. The, the when Shay was home, uh, Brett, welcome to this forum. Uh, it's great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. So, guys, uh, we're going to start with some Mets questions here. The Mets have a new GM, Brody Van Wagen, or whatever. Uh, agent Extraordinaire. Agent Extraordinaire. Let's go around the table and get people's thoughts. Greg, we'll start with you. Uh, welcome to Brody Van Wagenen, um, <laughs> erstwhile agent extraordinaire, new general manager of the New York Mets. It's a weird hire. Uh, we could call it innovative if we want, I suppose, because nobody else uh, lately has hired a super agent to run a baseball team. It's not totally without precedent, I suppose, in, in professional sports, but it did seem to come a little bit out of the blue. Uh, especially in the context of having you know, other candidates who seem more traditional. But uh, it's not like the Mets were getting anywhere before Brody Van Wagenen. So if, if this guy can bring the things he does well, uh, recognizing talent, uh, negotiating uh, with talent, uh, bringing them over to his side in a way that is not a conflict of interest, uh, let's say that it's not a terrible idea and hope for the best. All right. Uh, Brett, what's your thoughts on the, the hire? 
Well, I, I agree. I think, you know, it's certainly it's an outside-the-box choice. Um, but the Mets were really, in a, in a way, in a no-win situation here because if they would have picked somebody like Doug Melvin or a more traditional candidate, people would have said, oh, they're doing the same thing that they've, they've always done. And, um, you know, it had come down to, you know, Brody Van Wagenen and Chaim Bloom of Tampa Bay, and I think either one would have been a sort of a, a, an otter, outside-the-box choice. And I think we've got to give this one a little time. I think, uh, you know, the hope is that, you know, we listen, by all accounts, Brody Van Wagen is a smart baseball guy. And I think uh, if he can bring something new to the Mets um, that they haven't seen recently, then I think that's great. The question is whether the Mets are going to allow him to do what he needs to do. Uh, Jeff? Uh, well, again, I'm in agreement. I think he's a very polished uh, negotiator. He's been in the game a while. Uh, I do have to question his sanity because uh, I read where he was making like $25 million uh, as being an agent, and uh, he's not going to come anywhere near that. So he must be taking this on as a, a challenge, and uh, you know, if he can turn the Mets around, great. If not, it's, it's the same old, same old. So uh, it's really... Uh, a, a no-lose situation, and I agree that if the Mets hired anybody else, they, they were going to be criticized no matter what. Len, your thoughts? Okay, so I heard you the other night. You said it was interesting. I agree. It's interesting. Um, I don't know about the whole recusing himself from these negotiations on these players. That should be interesting. Who's going to do the negotiating? It's going to be interesting to see him go from trying to get the most for a player and now trying to give the player the least amount. So that should be an interesting turn of events. And, uh, you know, we, we will see. Yeah, that's certainly, that's one of the things I talked about last week on the show uh, about how is he going to do this. Uh, he says he's going to recuse himself, and I'm sure he probably will do some of that. Uh, but it's going to be an interesting uh, situation to see you know, maybe he'll be innovative. Maybe he's got some ideas that to, to do some innovative contracts here. We'll never, we won't know, of course, until the time comes. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see. Now, I also one of my gripes that wasn't on our list, but uh, uh, I, I don't think he was treated fairly. If you listen to last week's show, uh, I think it's last week's show. Uh, but uh, I, I went off a little bit on. Uh, uh, Mike Francesa for the greeting he gave Brody Van Wagenen to New York, and and um, I, I was not happy about that. I just thought it was a, a terrible way to, to uh, you know, he, he complained all the time, Francesa did, that the Mets weren't allowing uh, anybody to come on his show or on FAN at all, and he finally gets the new general manager, and then he goes after the guy and attacks him. I, I just thought it was terrible, and he... And he Thoughts on the Francesa interview real quick? Greg? Mike who? <laughs> the Says sports no. pope. <laughs> Jeff? Uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was terrible, but that, that's typical Mike. I mean, that, that's, that's what he does now. He's a, he, beca he became what was very good uh, broadcaster years ago. Now he's a caricature of himself. Yeah, I think so. Let you, you said on your show, which was very funny, um, that if uh, Brody Van Wagenen didn't like working with certain people on the Mets, he can get rid of people. You know how to get rid of people. I thought the the uh, uh, the Godfather music should be playing at that time, and maybe uh, maybe that's what we got to do to Mike. We gotta you know uh, get rid of the guy. Yeah, you know. 
Brett, any thoughts on that interview? Yeah, I think I think that Francesa kind of feels the boat sinking a little bit, and uh, he, he has not done as well coming back uh, as he probably thought he did. And I think he's looking, you know, the, the famous uh, sports writers and sportscasters lament is they don't, they don't want to be the ones making headlines, and he's the exact opposite. I think he's looking for some headlines, and I think he's looking for anything to keep his show afloat at this point. Well, he wants the uh, the eight ninety nine a month for the app, the sports app. You know, you got <laughs> yeah, to do something. I'll, 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 I'd rather uh, get a, a Big Mac. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to our next question and or topic. As uh, we want to uh, know that the look, the Mets have got some holes. Let's be honest. Even though Brody Van Wagenen said he's very happy with the day-to-day lineup, um, he knows it too. I mean, if you listen to the interview, he says they have some holes. What moves do you think that the Mets should be making to improve uh, this year? Brett, let's start with you this time. Well, I think that the first move that they should really be worrying about and, and taking care of is getting a, a solid catcher on this team. If they're going to continue to build this team with this, these pitchers and keep DeGrom and keep Syndergaard, which I think they will do and I think they should do, then they need a solid catcher. You know, whether it's somebody like a Ray Molto or somebody like that who's 27, who's controllable for the next couple of years. Um, and if that means giving up, you know, somebody like uh, Stephen Matz or, you know, Wheeler's not really worth that much. He's, he becomes a free agent uh, coming up. But um, I think that you can't, you know, if you look back historically, you know, the Mets are always known as this, you know, pitching-rich organization, but every one of those pitching-rich teams had a really solid catcher, whether it's, you know, going back to Grody or, or Gary Carter or, you know, in Piazza. So, um, to me, their first order of business should be catcher. Okay, Greg. Yeah, I mean, they've basically been using, if you, if you guys remember the Johnny Bench pitch back, you'd set up in your backyard and you throw it and you <laughs> hope to come back to you is basically how the Mets have been going for, for what seems like the last 10 years or so. Uh, Real Muto is a, a hard mountain to climb only because I think a lot of people are looking for him and the Marlins have such a strange value system in terms of what they could possibly want. But um, I guess Grandal is out there, who is not exactly a catcher, but he does play the position and he does hit. Uh, you need a center fielder. Uh, you hope Lagaris is healthy and can play at least half the time. But uh, I, I think I heard the phrase, uh, strength up the middle from uh, Brody, now, now that we're on a first-name basis. And I, I don't think he means second and short. So catcher, <clears throat> center field, and while we're dreaming a whole new bullpen uh, or at least you know so, something resembling a uh, an island of stability out there I don't think they know what they've got so he's got a he's got a few things to do but but there is a nice little core which I don't think I, I would have believed uh, I don't know last June or thereabouts when they were sinking in, into the east so uh, I I don't think he was out of line to say I, I like our lineup and things like that he I don't think coming to town and saying, God, what a mess this is, yeah. uh, was was going to endear him to anybody. So, um, you know, have at it. I, I agree. I mean, uh, what did you expect him to say? He's got to be positive. He's got to be positive for the fan base. He's still trying to sell tickets, you know. So, I, you know, it was crazy that, uh, uh, again, getting back to Francesa, going after him for saying those things. But, you know, I, I expect him to say that. Jeff, what's your thoughts on what the Mets need to do? Well, I think they really need to uh, settle on a first baseman and stop this revolving door around first base, be it Bruce, Al- Alonzo, uh, or, or Smith, or, or, or uh, Flores. 
I mean, get get a, uh, an everyday first baseman. I, I, it could even be Cespedes. He wants to play first well, base when he comes back. Well, Cespedes, exactly right. So they really got to do something with that. I agree with the catching situation. There's a couple of free agents out there. Well, uh, Wilson Ramos is out there. Uh, but, yeah, they need someone who's going to, uh, you know, solidify that position. Uh, as Greg mentioned, center field. You know, I, there's a name out there who's fallen out of favor with the Twins, uh, Byron Buxton. I, he might be able to get for, for cheap. I know he didn't have a great year last year, but he's still only 24 years old, and he was a really highly rated uh, for center field. So that might be a name that you know, the Mets might want to target. And also they got to upgrade the third base position. I mean, uh, Frazier's a nice guy and all, but... Uh, like I said before, he can't live with a 210 batting average. That's just terrible. Lynn? Oh, I'm one of the people that thought that they should have made a trade this season, uh, trading their, those pitchers. I think uh, DeGrom or Syndergaard or both. They didn't. They held on to them. And now that they've got them, they've got to win now. But uh, they've got so many holes at all these positions. And the, and the problem with them is they either make one big purchase of you know one big player in the offseason, or they make a lot of little players. Uh, I remember when the Mets' big acquisition one year was when they purchased Diamond Vision. So they, you know, when, the the problem is they've got to do more than just the one player. Um, they can't just get a Bobby Bonilla like they did one year, or a George Foster as they did one year, or a uh, you know Cespedes one. They've got to fill the positions. They can't be afraid to spend the money. They need to get a catcher. Like Jeff said, first base is an issue. The whole, you know, we'll just put him at first base. You know, ask Keith Hernandez if, if anybody can play first base. It's not the easiest position to play. And, and they have all these players that they think they're just going to put at first base like it's their DH spot. Um, so they need a bullpen. But and they definitely need the catcher because if they are going like Greg said, if they're going with these with these pitchers, they star pitchers, um, which they are. You know, Syndergaard, Degrom, uh, Wheeler, um, Mats, right? These guys, they're they're very good pitchers. They've got to have someone better than a than a pitch back to throw to. So there's just <laughs> so many uh, holes on the team that. Uh, I worry that they're just not going to, you know, be able to fill them all in one off season. Not well, the way they do it. You mentioned pitching. Uh, should we ha trade a pitcher for more hitting? And and really, what what is out there that you you know would you really want to break up the pitching staff to to include? I mean, uh, there's no real catches other than real Muto. Right, but what's it going to take to get him? It might take, well, that's it. It might it's take gonna a pitcher. Take, it's going to take... I don't think a pitcher's going to do it. I think it's going to take minor leaguers. I think it's going to be an Alonzo, mm -hmm. maybe a Justin Dunn, uh, maybe a David Peterson, and, and maybe even somebody else. Maybe they would take a Mats to throw in to have somebody at the major league level, but I don't think it's going to... It's not going to be one pitcher unless it's a Syndergaard or a DeGrom, and even... Then I'm not sure. And then what's the sense? I, you know, um, any thoughts on that? What do we take to get a real Muto, Greg? Uh, you know, I, I think in general, for a team that is coming off back-to-back -back, uh, losing seasons, uh, you know, you, you can't have too many sacred cows. Um, I remember using that phrase when Alderson took over, and that's when we had 
kind of franchise players like Wright and Reyes and Beltron released for another year. Um, you know, you're not you're not gonna. I wouldn't think you're you're going to touch uh, Conforto. Not probably uh, unless you make a big signing. Are you going to be looking at Rosario or Nimmo? I think we've all fallen in love with Jeff McNeil uh, based on on two very pleasant months. But everybody else, you know, Sanz, your your top pitchers, unless you're just breaking up the gang, Mm -hmm. I guess is up there. Now the question is, is any of that useful to anybody? And we keep kind of going around and around. My problem is I, I tend to... If not fall in love, then fall in life with the guys I like. And there's about eight guys I don't want to get rid of. Exactly. But I completely understand. I haven't, I haven't given you a specific answer here. But basically, <laughs> but basically, anybody who I haven't mentioned, they should feel free to shop. Jeff? Uh, what was the question again? <laughs> should we trade him? Oh, right. Yes. Right, right. And what is going to get Rio Muto? Uh, you know, I... It's not going to be major league talents because we know that the Marlins are uh, trying to get uh, trying to get controllable young young players. So you're right. The uh, Drew Peter- the David Petersons of the world, the Anthony, the uh, Justin Dunns, the uh, Anthony Kays of the world. Uh, maybe uh, maybe Max, because I think he has the longest to go to uh, free agency. Because I know Wheeler is next year, and then the year after is the is the Grom and, and then and Syndergaard. So Max is like uh, fourth on the list. So yeah. m- maybe Max. Uh, but it's got to be a, a proven no, you know, proven hitter. It's got to be someone like like a JT Muto who can fill a couple of holes. Uh, Len, your thoughts? Uh, as I said, I think it, it might it might take a young pitcher. Mm-hmm. It might take, like Jeff said, it's somebody. The Marlins want players who uh, are controllable, are low priced. Uh, but the problem is the Mets minor league system, even though they are building it up again is not uh, that strong. And if you do trade a couple of your top minor leaguers, you're going to be back to having uh, a depleted farm system. And that, was, and that was the reason, again, why I thought they needed to trade one of these big pitchers. Because the whole thing is that they're not winning uh, with them. They, they, they went two years straight where they had losing seasons. Yes, this season was a little better than last year, right? Okay. But it's still the same results. So, yes, they, they've got great starting pitchers, but nothing else. So are we going to just keep doing the same thing over and over? And, and that's the whole insanity, right? Doing the same thing and expecting different results. So I just thought that they should trade one of those guys. They didn't. Um, but I don't even know if they have what is, is going to get real Muto. Or, you know, do they have enough? I, I think they do probably in the minors, but uh, as you say, do you want to deplete the Myers to get mm-hmm. Real Muto and uh, have a chance of winning? Because she's still not guaranteed. Brett, any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with pretty much everything you guys are saying. I mean, you know, the Mets are the only team that could lose 90 games every year and have all these untouchables on the roster. Um, <laughs> but I, I, th- I think that, you know, given the history of, of these highly touted Mets prospects, uh, and we could all go through the list, Lastings Millage, David West, Sean Abner, to name a couple, um, I wouldn't be afraid to trade anybody. I mean, I would, you know, if the Marlins want Alonzo, then you can give the Marlins Alonzo. We know what Riamulto is. We know what Alonzo is in double-A. AA- AAA. 
Um, I would trade Jeff McNeil if, if the Marlins want him. I know we fell in love with him for a couple of months, but I don't. None of us really know who Jeff McNeil is. Um, and I have to be honest, I love him, and I know we all love him. Brandon Nimmo should be available for, to be traded as well, because if he's going to bring back an established catcher, or to Greg's point, a center fielder, then, you know, Nimmo is not an everyday center fielder in Major League Baseball, in my mind. So if we're going to be able to get bring one of those type of players back, then I think, you know, anybody, is, is, is other than DeGrom and Syndergaard, and I, believe, I agree that Conforto and Rosario should stay, but other than that, you know, I think uh, Van Wagenen should be pretty open-minded as to who can go. All right, well, uh, none of us here, I don't think any of you is a big fan of analytics. <laughs> but uh, the, big, the big call is to hire more people. So the question is, should the team hire more analytic people under the Brody Van Wagenen uh, regime? Brett, let's start with you. Uh, should the team hire more analytics? Well, I think the team is going to hire whatever Brody Van Wagenen thinks he needs to run this team. Um, I, I, I agree with your intro. I'm not a big analytic guy. I'm more of a, a baseball guy, and I, I like the way the game has always been played. Um, I don't like the way that you know uh, somebody like Dave Roberts is seemingly told how to manage a World Series from upstairs. Um, uh, I don't like any of that, but, you know, the fact of the matter is they hired this young agent, and, and I don't truly know what his, what his uh, feelings are, you know, 100%. He's not, uh, he's not you know, uh, I don't think he's Theo Epstein, who I wish he was, quite frankly. If Theo Epstein is going to come in and do a- analytics, I'll deal with it. But um, I, I, my feeling is analytics or not analytics, whatever Van Wagenen needs to build this team into a winner, I'm okay with. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned Dave Robertson and getting managed from upstairs, but uh, that's not really the, the first time we, we've heard that. Uh, and, and going back years, uh, Al Campanis, you guys had him on your show, his uh, grandson. Did he mention that about how Al Campanis had a direct line down to the dugout and he would call and tell, uh, I guess it was Walter Alston at the time. Yeah, it must have been, yeah. Um, tell him uh, what he thought he should be doing and to bunt in certain situations. So it's really, you know, I kind of thought it was a new thing under Alderson and, and this current generation of general managers. But apparently it's gone on before and, uh, um, you know, those teams did okay. But I agree, I agree. Uh, yeah, you don't want the general manager running your lineup and everything, and uh, that gets into a whole other thing with Callaway. I thought he did better after Alderson was gone, but that's another question. Uh, let's get back to this question. Analytics department, Greg? You know, a- analytics is a big umbrella, I think, for especially for guys like us who, for, for whom it's a little bit of a foreign language because it's something that was not in baseball when we fell in love with baseball and suddenly people are telling you you gotta have this and you know throwing all these phrases that I know we Gary you and I have talked about in the past like launch angle and exit velocity and we're like what the hell is that just you know get the batter to the plate but it, it's but it's all you know it, it's part of the tool kit that I think any general manager any manager any organization is going to have and you know, to, to know that there are teams out there that are looking for every possible advantage and hiring the kind of people who understand these advantages and putting them to, to play and knowing that the Mets have three guys uh, <laughs> who perhaps, well, yeah, you know, um, you know, I, I think it's, 
you know, no, no, no matter the, the, the sort of foreignness that it has to us and a lot of fans, you know, I think it is already part of the game. So the more advantage you can look for, I'm all for it. I would assume that, yeah, Van Wagenen will get what Van Wagenen wants. And I'm sure he's very well versed in it because to make his various cases with uh, other teams and arbitration and things like that, he's had to look at all kinds of numbers. So, you know, a greater comfort with that can't, can't be bad. I mean, when you watch baseball today, especially in the postseason, but you, you see it during the regular season, you're, you're so used to watching line drives up the middle and thinking, all right, base, oh, it was caught. Because people now know to a T as much as possible where to position fielders which is part of analytics. And it's, right. it's not great when you're watching, especially when your team is at bat. It's great when your guys are in the field. Um, yeah. You know, we'd probably made a better second baseman out of somebody like Jeff McNeil than we had a right to expect based on scouting reports because somebody knew what he was doing to position him. We, you know, even going back to Daniel Murphy, when you know he always played what I thought was on training wheels late in his... Uh, <laughs> in his tenure as a Met, that was, you know, Tim Tuffle working with him and presumably based on something more than, than gut instinct, you know, where to position a, a guy who couldn't play second base to turn him into a second baseman. So, you know, it's here. <laughs> can't, uh, you know, it's hard, hard to turn back the tide. So I, I would assume we'll, we'll see more. And, uh, you know, probably in a few years, it won't even occur to us quite so much that it's weird. It'll just be a part of, of what baseball is. Jeff? Uh, you know, Greg makes a great point, but you would think that the players, the, the, the bit hitters, would make some adjustments. I mean, if they're going to position you that you know where you're going to hit, well, don't hit it there. I know it's, I know it's easier said than done. I mean, we, we spoke to Greg Lezinski once and said it's easier said, easier said than done. But you know what? You lay a couple of, uh, a couple of bunts down the third base line, guess what? Soon they're going to have to defense against that, and the, 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 the defense will, will have to adjust. So you have all these, uh, you know, mind games going back and forth. So, you know, you adjust one way, adjust another way. That's the way I think it's been, you know, for years, obviously, years and years, decades and decades. Uh, but when you thought about, when you, if, you, if you read the, the uh, I think it's the Eric Sherman book on, on David Johnson, David Johnson kind of, kind of claims that he invented analytics. He's the one who brought all the, with the computer stuff, and, mm-hmm. and he used the bullpen that way, which, you know, if... I guess you can credit the Mets for uh, you know, creating analytics in baseball. Thank you very much. <laughs> but he also said that uh, there's too much crap in today. Oh, absolutely. There's too much, and, and he said garbage in, garbage out, which is a, a thing they always said on, on uh, uh, computers. Greg? Yeah, I, I just remember you know, Davey Johnson did bring us the computer. In fact, I think it was the cover of the information guide the first year he was there. But I also remember that you know, at a time where it was just kind of becoming innovative to say, hey, this guy shouldn't be hitting against the lefty or a righty. I remember, uh, and you, you guys will have to remind me, uh, I, Bill Campbell, the reliever, he was, he was the Cub at the time, but he was with the Red Sox. I remember if he was a righty or a lefty. Um, but Rusty Staub had a terrible track record against Bill Campbell. And in, I go, he was a Philly in, in this particular game in 84. And Davey sent him up to pinch it anyway, and he got a, a three-run double. It was a, a big game uh, right around the time the Mets were taking first place in early summer. And they asked Davey, like, you know, you, 
Rusty was, you know, what, nine for 47, something even, maybe even worse than that. Why'd you send Rusty up there? He said, I had a feeling about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you have to be willing to kind of, you know, take, take your hands off the spreadsheets, I suppose. Uh, I think we saw that with Alex Cora. I think that's why, you know, that that was an, an edge to the Red Sox. Every now and then, you saw balls going through holes in the World right. Series, especially when the Red Sox were batting, which was a pleasant change, quite frankly, just as a an observer from watching the Dodgers and Brewers, which was a very competitive series, but it's like, well, you know, these guys have squelched each other off throughout the entire series, and I understand, you know, of course, you know, we, we need to play defense against your offense, and, well, we need to make these moves against you. It can be a little stultifying. So, you know, the, the human element will eventually, uh, you know, inflict itself, shall we say, inject itself in the game. So, uh, yeah, Dave, Davey was doing it uh, back then. I think, you know, th- there's been some form of this for years. Remember, Sandy Alderson was supposed to be the avatar of all of right. this, you know, b- b- based on Moneyball. And, you know, the fact that we had Dee Podesta and R- Ricciardi, and it was like, here comes, like, the, you know, the you know the new brigade. And here we are eight years later saying, gee, can we get some analytics up in yeah. here? So, you yeah. know, I, th- I think it's, it's all, as, you, as uh, Jeff said, uh, easier said than done. Yeah. Can I just chime in? I mean, I think that, you know, we call it analytics now, but to, to, to Greg's point and to, to all, what you guys are saying, I mean, is it really much different than, you know, platooning Mookie Wilson and Len Dykstra in the outfield? Right? Or I mean, it's just a, it's a new word, and, you know, they have these young guys with all the computer, you know, information. But, you know, it, it's really just different type of hunches, right? I mean, it's more it's controlled by numbers, sure, but Davey Johnson uh, knew that a certain hitter batted better than a, uh, against a righty than a lefty, and, and that was analytics in the, in the mid-'80s. So I think th- that they've been doing it. It's just we call it something different now. Right. I, I agree with Brett. So if, if analytics works, you know, great. There could, be, there could certainly be a, a merger of analytics with, uh, you know, managing by, you know, the seat of your pants. Um, when the Yankees, with their championship teams, you know, uh, would take tons of pitches so that they could get to the team's bullpen, okay, that was a system. It worked. Uh, analytics part of it works. You know, this whole exit velocity and those things, I'm not a believer in that. I could care less. But there are certain things, these shifts, they're working. Now, like Jeff said, if the, if the hitters can't hit out of them and they're working and they're not made illegal, and that's analytics, then I'm all for it. If it helps my team win, I'm all for it. Now, whether a team needs to have, you know, 10 analytic guys on the team, I don't know how many How many analytic guys does it take to screw in a light bulb? I, I don't know the answer. But, you know, how many do you need? What's the, the maximum and the minimum? But, again, if it helps my team win, right. analytics. Right, uh, and, and, and Len made a great point. I mean, what we call this stuff, you know, exit velocity, spin rate, uh, you know, uh, launch angle. They're just, they're just code words are uppercut, hit the ball hard, and, uh, you know, he threw a good curveball. Right. Exactly. I mean, they really care. Does the guy really go up, and, uh, up to the bat and go, oh, I better hit this at 24-degree angle at th- I, when the pitcher's throwing it this, this, this hard? I mean, they're not right. thinking that. They can't process that. The problem, though, the problem with, with the way the game's going now, and I don't know if this is under the analytics part of it, but is that everybody's swinging for the fences. That's the problem, too, is, is averages don't matter anymore. Everyone's swinging for the fences. To me, uh, you know, everyone wants to see home runs. To me, one of the most exciting, you know, things in baseball is a triple. That, that's exciting. Um, 
so I don't know if that's considered part of analytics, but if that's changing the game, then, then I have an issue with it. But if it's helping your team win, I'm all for it. All right, well, we're going to skip to some fun questions. Those weren't fun. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm well, rolling. Well, well, well lighthearted, uh, you know, questions here. And, Nobody's and, thrown uh, a punch yet. I mean, <laughs> so. I love, we'll start with you. Which do you prefer, City Field or Shea Stadium? Oh, I, I got to say, you know, everyone called uh, Shea Stadium, you know, a dump. But it was my dump. And, uh, you know, I grew up with Shea Stadium. I remember walking through the, you know, walking through, and the first thing you see is that the, the grass, and you just, and, and after getting just the ramps around, you know, walking down the ramps. And, I, yeah, I, I prefer Shea Stadium as far as, you know, for sentimental reasons. If, if I'm looking at it from, you know, which is a better stadium, I mean, City Field is beautiful. But for me, Shea Stadium will always hold a place in my Jeff. Well, I'll do my best, my princess. Okay, let's be honest, okay? Okay, let's be honest. Can I get you a Diet Coke? Uh, give me a Diet Coke. Uh, look, <laughs> Shea Stadium has, uh, has the history. Well, you know, it was a dump, but it was all dump, and it has the history. It has the, the Tom Seaver performed there, and so did uh, Dwight Gooden and Daryl. I mean, that has the history. But as a, as a stadium, I, I got to go with City Field. You know, when you go and get, uh, get concessions, you can actually see the game. Uh, let's put it honest. The, rest, the restrooms are much better than, than at Chase Stadium, but Chase Stadium has the uh, sentimentality and, and the nostalgia. And you know, I, I love Chase Stadium. I grew up there, but uh, City Field is, is right now is, is it's a better field. Brett? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's it's uh, it's a little bit of a hard question to answer. I think we all probably agree that for nostalgia's sake, Chase Stadium is something that we we remember fondly, and, I, and I'm actually really happy uh, uh, that Shea Stadium is, is remembered fondly, because the last couple of years at Shea Stadium, uh, we were speaking nothing but nothing, no fond words about the stadium. Uh, it wasn't a great place to, as a fan to go see a ball game, although the sight lines were good, um, but you didn't want to be sitting in the upper deck at Shea Stadium, you know, in, uh, in, uh, in April or, or even early May. Um, as a fan, for a fan experience, City Field, I think, is obviously far superior uh, for the mention, for the re uh, reasons that a couple of you guys have mentioned already. But uh, listen, Chase Stadium will be the place that my grandfather took me and my father took me, that I took my son. So there's always going to be a part of Shea Stadium uh, in all of us uh, that, were, that were, you know, fortunate enough to, to be there. But, I mean, I think for, to be able to <laughs> plunk down a bunch of money and, and have a good fan experience, I don't think there's any question that City Field uh, gives, delivers on that. And let me just say, there's a book that immortalizes Shea Stadium, right, right, Brett? <laughs> well, let me tell you, by 1975, for some reason, after 11 years, Shea Stadium was already in pretty, pretty bad shape, and by 79, it was, it was basically uh, dilapidated. But yeah, I, I, I appreciate the kind words. When Shea was home, uh, available at all fine bookstores. Plug <laughs> it when you can do it. Plug it away. Uh, Greg? Well, in 2019, I'm going to pick City Field because it's there. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I sometimes wonder if they had just said, you know what, we have a perfectly good stadium and we're going to do something about upkeep and make some renovations. And if we were still going to Shea Stadium in 2019, at which point, what, it would be uh, year 56? And would it be talked about sort of in the somewhat hallowed tones that, say, Dodger Stadium gets from the same era. 
Um, I think Shea Stadium had to go away to be truly appreciated for what it was, that it was this place, you know, for, as everybody said, you know, the green grass and, uh, although, yeah, it could get freezing in April. It gets freezing in April at City Field, yeah. too. I think it's yeah. worse at City Field because it has, has a lot more openings, but that's another story. Um, you know, Shea's product was baseball when the Mets were there, and you had nothing to distract you and, you know, the idea of plunking down a bunch of money, you didn't have to do that quite so much at Shea Stadium, although, you know, prices were rising right up to the moment they closed it. Uh, listen, you know, Shea Stadium and the Mets were synonymous. And, you know, not, not only, uh, you know, on a personal level for, for everybody, who, whoever went there, but just, you know, I still tend to, you know, if, if I'm uh, taking the train and they say, you know, where are you getting off? I'll say Shea. And not out of any great... You know, making a statement. It's just like I can't say Mets will its point, and, right? <laughs> or you know, I, I feel I feel I should be getting a commission if I have to give advertising to City Corp, or whatever. I mean, listen, City City Field. I've I've grown used to. Twenty fifteen kind of kind of pulled me into the present, where City Field was concerned because I got to see a winning team there, mm-hmm. and I got to go to a playoff game and a World Series game, and that was something that City Field did not have going for it, for its first uh, seven or so seasons. Or I guess that was the seventh season. So um, I think secretly, because you know I'm 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 older now and uh, enjoy creature comforts, I probably don't mind that the the seats are a little bigger and the concourses are uh, more navigable. And yes, the restrooms are, if not state of the art, then certainly beyond state of the shay. But you know, there, there's there's always going to be a piece of me that wants to know, you know, where the hell Shea Stadium went, and uh, why I can't go there tonight to see the Mets play the Reds. I, you know what, what Greg said, being there for a playoff game and a World Series game. I didn't have, I was not able to do that in City Field yet, but I was there at Shea Stadium during those years, mm-hmm. and I tell you, that upper deck rocked yeah. at Shea Stadium. It actually shook, and it was it was such a it was so much more exciting. I think because I haven't experienced such a, 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 a the feeling yet at City Field. I mean, I've been to a couple, a couple big games there, but uh, when, when Chase Stadium was rocking, it was literally rocking. Game Game Four, two thousand NLCS. I was in the upper deck that inning where it was like one double after another. I honestly thought I was going to fall to my death. <laughs> no, because the thing was shaking like it had never shaken before. And, you know, fine, this is the way I have to go. <laughs> Tumbling however many feet while Todd Zeal is driving in Benny Agbayani or whatever. Uh, this is the way to go. I, I will say game three of the NLDS in 2015 when Ioannis Cespedes uh, launched a ball into the left field landing or whatever its sponsored name was that year. I felt uh, I was out in left field on the field level of... Uh, I think just inside, either just inside or just outside of, of fair territory, it did vibrate, and that shocked me because I never felt anything like that at City Field. Also, we we had uh, Chase Utley being introduced to us that night, and if you were ever going to bring out every Mets fan's inner Shea, uh, it was to uh, feed us Chase Utley, and uh, we were all pretty stoked. And you know, Mets fans will be Mets fans, so I, I think City Field got a, kind of moved to another level for me that night but um you know let, let you know what let's get some more playoff games and uh, have something having something to compare shea stadium well, for to. that i remember i remember at uh, shea walking when you were going to the upper level and those little stone you know the steps 
and you were walking and you didn't want to look back. You don't want to look down because it, you were going high and there was nothing to hold on to. I remember just mm. walking on the, you know, they were little steps. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I remember is the rain delays at Shea. If you had a big rain delay, I mean like a deluge, you know, the water was just pouring it. I remember it pouring over, <laughs> over the ramps and there was like no place to stand. Yeah. You had to stand because it was coming in from both sides and you had to stand like right in the middle. So otherwise, because you, otherwise you're going to get soaked. You know, they were, it was, yeah, it was, right. It was a waterfall from both sides, but it, you know, so those were two things I remember. All right. Two more quick questions. Uh, and then we'll wrap this up. Uh, Greg, you and I have been on, uh, uh rising apple and Metzian podcast numerous times together. And our good friend, Michael Lacoland, his big issue is, uh, erecting a statue of Joan Payson, uh, First statue of Mets erect, and of whom? Greg? I hope it's of Brody Van Wagenen by popular demand in about two years. Um, putting that aside, because he seems like a very humble guy and wouldn't, wouldn't want to draw attention to himself. Um, Tom Seaver. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know how there isn't a Tom Seaver statue at right. this point. I wrote a thing on Faith and Fear 10 years ago on the eve of City Field talking about all the great things they could do to make it feel like the Mets' home before we knew that it would take a while to do that. And I said, you know, Tom Seaver statue. I could not have been the first person to have come up with that. I mean, you know, you, you, you travel around the country if, if you're so inclined and, and fortunate enough to do so. Go to other ballparks, and it's not a wish list thing. We saw this week with the passing of Willie McCovey, you know, you watching coverage on MLB Network, there's his statue. And it's not the only statue at AT&T Park. Uh, you know, you, you can go around baseball and see several. You know, the Mets have an apple out of a hat uh, outside the ball. And that's great. I'm glad they didn't get rid of it. I'm glad they took it out of the basement at City Field for after that first year. And it's nice, you know, but it gives you something kind of, not not only from a logistic standpoint, meet me by the apple, that sort of thing, but it gives you something to rally around, something to identify with. And that's just an apple. Uh, you know, Tom Seaver, I don't have to tell anybody on this call who he is, what he means to this franchise. Uh, you know, why we love Shea Stadium, why we love the Mets is probably because we watched Tom Seaver pitch for, you know, 10 plus years or however long we did. It's insane that there's not a Tom Seaver statue. I remember a, a blind quote. Uh, it was 2009, first year where nobody was happy with City Field, and they were on the verge of doing the 40th anniversary celebration of the 69 Mets, and people were grumbling, where's the statue of Tom Seaver? And an unnamed Mets source said, you know, at, at that time they had not yet sold, sold the event out, and said, like, we can't even get people to come see the real Tom Seaver. What do we need a statue for? Well, that's that makes me proud. So, um, I don't. I don't think it's asking for much. And yeah, to to to, to uh, our friend Michael's uh, point. Yeah, Joan Payson ought to be. I think there should be all kinds of. Right. You know, we 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 could do we could do this all day, and I I, I won't you know run run down the list. But there's no. You know what? Uh, just just to, to have have an alternate pick here besides Joan Payson, Tom Seaver, David Wright should have a statue soon. I mean, never mind retiring his number, which I think think is a uh, a can of corn. I don't want to say a slam dunk because this is baseball. But I mean, David Wright is the one immovable Met who refused to be moved except by a bad back, 
who never wanted to leave, who, who never changed his story about wanting to be a Met from day one to day last, somebody who every person who roots for the Mets now has a clear memory of. And, you know, if, if you wanted to have David Wright jump the line even, I mean, you know, Tom Seaver's my favorite player and always will be, but you know what? If you want to say, you know, we, we, we are grabbing this momentum and this love that we feel for David Wright, and he's going to be not, not you know, <laughs> I hate to say it because, you know, with, with his bad back, I guess he was a statue at third base at the end. But, um, you know, in all, in, all, in all fondness, in all fondness for David Wright, uh, you know, put him on the list. And, you know, we, we, we could talk about other people. And, you know what, there should be a little more in the budget than for one statue. So Yes, uh, but the, the Mets will make one statue a year or every and and it will Century. be for either either Fred Wilpon or Jeff Wilpon, I imagine. So. Brett, that I have to follow. <laughs> uh, I, well, let me just say, first of all, you know, on the on that last point, you know, the Mets had no problem selling ten thousand bricks to people to go out in front of City Field, you know, to to, to display. But there's no statue of anybody. Um, I think, you know, listen, I think Seaver is clearly the, the first one that should go up. I, I'm fine if you want to put one up of Gil Hodges and David Wright and, you know, Joan Payson and whoever else. I think the interesting thing is, and, you know, I had the opportunity to go to City Field toward the end of the year with uh, with a group of kids, actually about uh, 75 uh, of kids for the school I work for. And uh, what they noticed was they noticed the apple in the hat, and they noticed when they walked in it was a giant 42 which kind of looks like a statue in, in, in some ways. And, you know, I explained, obviously, it was for Jackie Robinson, and they all know who Jackie Robinson is, but they said, but yeah, but why is it here in the Mets ballpark? And that's a hard question to answer sometimes, because I think, you know, obviously the Jackie Robinson rotunda was very important to the Wilpons, but they had no, you know, it's all Jackie Robinson in that entrance, and there's, there's no Seaver statue, there's no Casey Stangle statue, there's no statues at all, obviously, and... Listen, I think um, for a team that's had, obviously, many, many, many good players, I have yet to find anybody who, who put somebody ahead of Seaver uh, on this list, and maybe, maybe one of you guys will. But to me, um, probably it's Seaver getting in his own way because he probably doesn't get along with the ownership, and, and the ownership is cheap, and all blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the fact, I really hope, and, I, you know, I, I worry about this sometimes with the Mets, is I hope they don't wait till Tom Seaver is no longer with us to put a statue up, because I'd like him to be there when they put that statue up. Absolutely. You know, yeah, and, and here's a little, little known fact. If you go into the, the, the Mets Hall of Fame, on the right, near the window, there's a small, maybe two and a half foot three statue of Casey Stengel. You, can't, you, you, you can miss it very easily, but, it, but it's there. It's very small. Uh, but it, it, it's inside, and you have to look for it. There's also a statue of him, of Casey Stengel, in Hofstra on one of the roads I, I kind of found. <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, Tom Seaver has got to has got to be Tom Seaver. Uh, you know, may you know maybe have a uh, a, a statue where have like, the best moments. You know, with Seaver and Clearing Jones on the knee, and you know David Wright, and maybe a conglomeration of you know several Mets. Bill Buckner. Bill Buckner, <laughs> you know what? If 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 if, if Dwight and, and Daryl wasn't on the stuff so so long, they could have been immortalized. They, yeah. uh, you know, uh, but you know they were they were great Mets. Of course, you know let's not get into all that. But they could have had a they could have been worthy of a statue one day. But you know I, my favorite is Tom Seaver, and uh, you know it's it's got to be Seaver. Glenn, <clears throat> you, you know Brett, you said following up Greg was difficult, right? Following him, 
think about it. I'm sitting here with two prolific authors, right? You've each written numerous books, and the only thing I've written is a grocery list. So, you know, that that's tough. But uh, as yeah, far but, as but, but as long as you get to get coupons, you're fine. <laughs> that is that is true. I do get I do get two dollars off on a on a Ben and Jerry's ice cream. So, um, well done. But the. Um, I, I would say in this whole Me Too movement, maybe Joan Payson, you know, she, uh, the problem is if you put up a statue now of even Tom Seaver, okay, well, Seaver, you'd have the, you know, the, the youngsters now, they would look and they, and they wouldn't know who that was. Um, so the David Wright idea would definitely catch the current fans, but you got to put Tom Seaver up, obviously. I think you got to put Casey Stengel up. Uh, Joan Payson. Maybe you make a statue of uh, there. There's the the uh, in my mind. I, I see that picture of uh, Casey Stengel. He's over at the wall talking to Joan Payson. So something with you know Casey Stengel and Joan Payson. Uh, but you know maybe they can splurge and do three statues. You know get three for the price of one. May I? <laughs> well, there there goes our analytics department. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You know, at Fenway, they have a statue that is called Teammates. And they have, I think they had four players on there. I'm not, I'm not sure if they were on, on the actual same team, but they were all Red Sox. And, you know, that right. might not be a bad idea yeah. as well. Yeah. I mean, I've gone to several stadiums, and yeah, they all have a statue of their I mean, Bob Euchre has a statue. Yeah. Two! Bob Euchre Two. deserves a statue. <laughs> uh, we were, uh, Len and I were in Philadelphia. There's a statue of their announcer, Richie Ash. Mm-hmm. Uh, which Harry, which, Harry, Harry, Harry Callis. Harry Callis. Oh, Callis. It's yeah. Harry Callis. Yes, there's a statue of him out there in, in the stadium. You know what? Get Jerry Seinfeld to pony up some money. He's a big Met fan, right? You know, and he's at the games. Yeah, Jerry, can you, you know, whatever you get from one episode of Seinfeld, can you build a statue? All right, we'll even put down there, you know, donated, donated by, by Jerry. Jerry or, you know, yada, yada, yada. How, uh, how, <laughs> nice. how, how hard would it have been to have named... Section of left field, Kiner's corner. Right, How right. hard would it have been to right. name, you know, a, a, one of McFadden's or whatever? Call it Murphs. Uh, put something. You know, all these, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't want to get too ahead of myself when it comes to talking about barbecue. But <laughs> <laughs> blue, blue smoke may be a great brand. How hard would it have been to par- have partnered with Rusty right. on something like that oh, and get yeah. the? I mean, there's there like, the other than Mex's uh, Keith's Grill, I guess it's called with the yeah. Mex hamburger, uh, which I think most people would forget existed except he visits it twice a year on TV. Uh, you know, there are all these opportunities to just make people, you know, feel good about the Mets, make. Uh, when you talked about uh, kids not knowing who Tom Seaver is, this is how they find out because, hey, who's that statue of? It's Tom Seaver. That's He's true. the best the best player the Mets ever had, certainly the best pitcher the Mets ever had. I mean, you know, the, the Maybe jacket... Maybe one of the best pitchers baseball's ever yeah, had. Yeah, and how do, how, do, right. how do you make sure that the best Mets pitcher is in that conversation by continuing to every time the game is on TV, there's a shot of the Tom Seaver statue. And that way, you know, announcers just kind of naturally say, well... he. That, that he looks like a young Tom Seaver out there, which, quite frankly, <laughs> you don't hear enough uh, for, for my money. Um, you know, the, the 42 is, is, a, is a good focal point. People do meet at the 42. I, people say, I'll meet you after the game, meet me by the 42. I see a lot of families who probably wouldn't otherwise have something to feel good about, uh, you know, 
gathering around the 42 and taking pictures. I think the Jackie Robinson Rotunda serves a, a, a good purpose. I mean, there's a George Washington Bridge in New York. When it, you know, George Washington's not from New York, but that's okay. Um, Jackie Robinson played close enough. I don't mind the Jackie Robinson Rotunda. I mind that it stopped there. Correct. <laughs> and there's so much more you could be doing with a ballpark other than, you know, putting ads on the outfield fence and bombarding you between innings with uh, with offers to uh, to trade up and uh, buy more tickets and uh, help this sponsor out as as if they are a charity. So I'm I'm going off the rails here. I'll stop. Well, I want to see what Gary has to say. Yeah. I forget the question. Now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, Statues. I, I don't know. We we I, I love Michael McCollin's idea. Uh, and I have to give him credit. He's the first one that I heard. Uh, the Joan Payson, because without Joan Payson, uh, you know, we had Shea Stadium. William Shea played a major part in bringing the Mets back to New York. But we don't really have anything that honors Joan Payson anywhere. I mean, she's in the Hall of Fame, but we, we don't, there's no other out. Uh, display of uh, uh, thanks or emotion or whatever you want to call it uh, towards her. So I think a statue I love the idea of having a statue of Casey and her and, and maybe you could just tweak it a little bit and, and stick Gil Hodges and make it a three statue um, you know a trio. A threesome? Of, a threesome, yeah. A menage a trois. I think that would be a great way to honor this terrific lady who brought this team, who, who, you know, spent her money, big giant fan, brought her back. She brought Willie Mays back to New York because she loved Willie Mays. And yes, did, did, did her heart get in the way sometimes of winning? I think in the early years, yes. I think it did because she was nostalgic for giant New York Giants baseball and she wanted a National League team. And I think she brought back players that she loved and... Um, pushed to bring them, and she hired Casey and George Weiss, who clearly were probably over the hill at that point in time. But uh, I'd like to see her. Seaver, of course, without a doubt, greatest player probably in franchise history. Um, David Wright, great idea. I, I think I, I've been a David Wright advocate for a number of years, and, and I've said it on numerous times about how I think that People say, well, he signed that big contract, wasn't worth it. But he got it for what he did as a mess and what he meant to this franchise as a face of the franchise and as a face of Major League Baseball. And that's why he got that contract. And he deserved every penny he got. Because if, if you just go back to the All-Star season, when the All-Star game was in New York, that guy was everywhere, all over TV. He was in the home run derby all the time while playing. He started in the game. I don't know how he had the energy left after doing interviews all over the place, all kinds of times. Uh, he was just Mr. Met without the big head. So, uh, you know, and it, 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 was, it was an honor to watch him play one more game and see him up at bat, and I don't care if he popped out, struck out. It's like a thing that... Uh, uh, if I could go to my golf roots a little bit with Arnold Palmer, when he was getting old and he started not playing in tournaments, and he says, I don't want to play, I'm terrible. People don't want to watch me play that bad. And somebody said to him, no, we want, we want to see you. We don't care how you play. We want to see Arnold Palmer on a golf course. 
And that's what we're interested. We don't care what you shoot. We don't really care. We want to see you with the Masters. And that was the same way with David Wright. We just wanted to see him play one more time. After all he went through, all the work he did, everything, to see him get out there one more time was just, just amazing. And I'm so glad. And, and I actually defended the Wilpons for allowing him this opportunity. And I think you have to uh, thank them for that and uh, giving us that opportunity. But we're running along now, and uh, we want to get to other matters uh, in another show. So I'm going to cut it off here if everybody's in favor of that, and thank my guest, Greg Prince. Thank you. Jeff Cohen. <laughs> my pleasure. Len Aberman. Thanks and for Brett on. Topel on the phone. Thanks, uh, guys, so much for coming on and doing this. Hopefully we can do it again. Hopefully we can. Thank you. And we'll talk to you all next time. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that. We had a blast here doing that uh, little round table. It was really a lot of fun, and we want to try to do it again. So uh, uh, be sure to uh, stay tuned for that. And that's going to wrap it up for this week's show. I hope you enjoyed it, and I want to thank all my guests, Brett Topel, Greg Prince, Jeff Cohen, and Len Aberman. And I want to thank you all for listening. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, uh, Google Play, wherever you listen to the podcast. Please hit that subscribe button. That helps grow the show and expand to new listeners. And until next time, remember, keep the faith, stay optimistic, and let's go Mets. Good night, everybody. Thank you.